Good evening, world. This is the podcast, Acid Pass, and your host, S. Lord Patel. Alrighty, so. We have been going over the Miracle Club from Mitch Horowitz. Going through chapter four, which is Methods in Mind Power. We have gone over affirming, visualizing, and praying. And we are arrived at meditating. Yesterday, we went over some more, well, as he put it, more ecumenical. Um, how do I want to put this? Methods? History? Ritual? I guess you could say they're all three. Um, much more of a religious tone. And today, I do believe we are going to be talking... Well, switching gears just a little bit and going from the super religious to, well, maybe not the super religious is a bad term, one type of religion to another. So yesterday was all about um, Catholicism, Judaism, it's different offshoots, and today I do believe we hop into Buddhism. And we're going to go over meditating and chanting, because that's what finishes off chapter four. I'm not going to go back over too much of what was, what's been going over the last uh, couple days. I, uh, I gotta admit, I just, I've been, I've been really frustrated. I've mentioned it before, my husband is a veteran. And he deployed twice to Iraq. Afghanistan was the place the service members went to because it was relatively safe to get away from all the fighting in Iraq. When they needed a break, that's where they would go. And I'm, uh... I'm feeling really crushed right now. To give you an idea of just how bad it is on the ground, if any of you remember back to Iran when the uh, Mujahideen took over and installed their Islamic government, I'm not sure anybody actually remembers, but it's the closest one I can get to. Um, they would go door to door and basically take people out who had any ties with the U.S., um, any contraband, what they considered contraband. Um, you know, if they could found any, what they considered contraband in your house, you'd be shot on the spot. And whether or not you actually want to believe that there are places out there where this kind of a question doesn't even apply, right now there are parents wondering whether or not to put a bullet in the head of their kids and their, and their wife and themselves, because that's more merciful than what the Taliban would do to them if they got caught. I gotta admit, I'm just, um, I'm really crushed and I'm trying to really, um, well, I take that back. I'm finding it really difficult to keep my spirits up in the face of this. 
So as much as I try not to be melancholy or pick up on political topics, um, I'm going to take a special moment to give a shout out today to all the people trying to flee Afghanistan right now. This is an absolute disaster, debacle, horror. I'm not sure what the fallout's going to be from this, so, um, yeah, just, wow. So, special prayers, blessings, and Fingers crossed and little wishes to everyone out there right now. Took less than 11 days for Kabul, from for Afghanistan itself, just the whole country, to go from being a relatively safe place to go, you could even vacation there, to being run by a terrorist organization. We'll see how it plays out. Fingers crossed it plays out better than I'm seeing right now. So I'll use this melancholy tone to also do my shout out to the restaurant industry. All my guys and gals out there in Foodland, they're still going through probably one of the hardest times in restaurant history in more recent memory. I don't think the restaurant industry has been this hard hit since the actual Great Depression. I'll, I'll, I'll just put go out on a whim there and say I don't think the restaurant industry has been this hard hit since the Great Depression. So today, for anybody out there that's feeling stressed and overwhelmed, and like the world doesn't make sense, please don't quit. Please stay. Times like this don't last forever. So... Yeah. Now it's rough, but please don't quit. You are here for a reason and it's not just to be another obituary in the back of the column. So please don't quit. If you have to take it one inch at a time, one minute at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time, I don't care what you break it up into, but just make it the next minute. And then just make it the next hour. And then just make it the next day. And then just make it the next week. Until you look back and you realized you survived a whole year 
one minute or one hour or one day at a time. Promise you, whatever this is that's going on, it won't last forever. I don't know what's going to happen on the other other side of it. But humanity has always had dark periods like this, sporadically and periodically. So I'm going to um, I'm going to still continue with what I was going to do today, which is meditation. Uh, meditation and chanting, apparently. And I'm going to proceed forward. And I'm going to do my best not to let these events get me down, distract me, or steer me off course. The world needs you. Whatever it is that you do, and you do so well, despite what's going on right now, the world needs you and your talents. We come into this life and we're born into this world with with talents, with skills that we decided were going to be useful before we ever step foot in these bodies. And I owe it to this world, and so do you, to figure out what those talents are and use them to help others. So that's what I'm going to do. So let's get into meditation. And tonight I'll be offering up some prayers to the universe for better days ahead for everyone. Okay. Meditating. There are many books on meditation. And I will not attempt here to consider the myriad methods, ancient and modern. I do believe that a meditative practice is vital to any spiritual journey. Among other things, meditation provides a kind of foundational starting point to ensure the best mental and emotional state for prayer and the use of mind therapeutics. In some cases, as seen in the research of psychiatrist Ainsley Mears, Meditation itself is a decisive factor in healing. My personal practice is transcendental meditation, an extremely relaxing, mantra-based form of meditation used for about 20 minutes in the morning and evening. Certified teachers can be found online. I highly recommend it, especially for people who have difficulty meditating. So before we go any further, um, I want to point out transcendental meditation has to be taught by a teacher. You go in, you, and they have them all over the place. There's even one here where I live. Um, you go in and you do an introductory session and then you have a individual session with a teacher. And that teacher, based on their intuition, gives you a mantra to use in the meditation. It's very specific. It's not just something you can look up on YouTube or go get a book. You have to have that mantra. Sorry. You have to have that mantra, that specific mantra, in order to do the meditation successfully. And the teacher has to show you how to utilize the mantra. 
uh, how the meditation works, what to expect, that kind of thing. And, but he is correct. It's 20 minutes in the evening, 20 minutes in the morning. But it's it's more specific than just your, I'm going to look up a meditation on YouTube, or I'm So, sorry about that. Um, I don't even know where I was. Seem to be getting the random interruptions today, so my apologies. Alright, so we went over transcendental meditation. So it's very specific. I went over that. We'll move on. <laughs> Other forms of meditation involve concentration, visualization, or just sitting. John Kabat-Zinn, an impeccable researcher and thinker, has advocated a modified form of Buddhist-derived just sitting meditation, which he has popularized in his nationwide program of mindfulness-based stress reduction, or MBSR. I have never heard of that before, so now I'm going to have to go look it up. This therapy has made impressive inroads in hospitals and mainstream medicine. We'd like to think of meditation as easy, but people sometimes underestimate the commitment required by meditation programs. As noted, some of Mears' patients meditated up to three hours daily. Even old-school self-help books, such as the 1960 Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz, MD, prescribe meditative practices that require a commitment of at least one hour daily. Maltz, a pioneering cosmetic surgeon, taught that the individual could recondition his self-image through visualizations. He prescribed half an hour of just sitting meditation and another half hour of visualizing, in which the meditator pictured himself in peak performance. I am a great admirer of Maltz's program, as were a surprising range of figures, including First Lady Nancy Reagan, actress Jane Fonda, and artist Salvador Dali. But it is important not to underestimate the commitment required. To begin such a program and then trail off for lack of time or discipline leads only to disappointment. The point is, all of these practices can work, provided you possess the one indispensable trait necessary for any successful program of self-development. Self and passion, commitment. The next chapter is dedicated wholly to that point. So I'm going to assume he's talking about chapter 5 and not chanting, which is the next little subsection. So, lots of different types of meditation. And where he says it's just sitting, more it's awareness. You're just being. You're being aware of the moment. You're being aware of your breathing. You are just yourself. There is no... Uh, that's exactly what we do in some of our two-minute brain breaks at the end of my podcast every single day, is that... Um, you know, you're just sitting. There's no responsibilities, there's no chores, there's no chasing, there's no running, there's no titles, there's no responsibilities. You're just, you just are. You just exist. And sometimes that's all the break and focus you need to refresh and go back at it again. But I wouldn't call it just sitting. Although that's probably what it looks like to everybody else from the outside. So there's some stuff that you can go look up. Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. Interesting. 
Also interesting to note is that his insistence that you could recondition your self-image through visualization. If we go back to Mr. Dooley's uh, Infinite Possibilities, actually I take that back, Manifesting Change, he actually uh, went over in more detail he went over in more detail um, specific instances uh, and stories where this really does and this has actually been this is actually a precursor to what's going around now in the new thought movement which is identity changing um, obviously people are still experimenting they're still trying new things they're still tweaking and working and and, and trying to see um, if there's any new ways we can do this thing or that thing, obviously, when it comes to the mind, there's entire oceans of data that still need to be traversed. But one of the most interesting that has come out recently, within the last, um, actually I want to say within the last five years, not even the last decade, is the concept of changing your identity. And that if you can't change your identity, a lot of the other manifesting personal development stuff can't work because you're still trying to because now you're trying to or at least the idea is you're trying to um, uh, accomplish new things from an old identity the old identity won't get you the new things so there's a couple of teachers out there that um, promote changing your identity so I just thought it was really interesting to see this kind of origin of because that's exactly what it does you're using visualization to change the identity of how you see yourself inside. Which there's entire bodies of work that, you know, perspective, inner beliefs, blocks, all that kind of stuff. This is, like, simplistically exactly where all that stuff starts. Is using visualization to see yourself in a better light. Okay? Okay. Alright, so we have made it to chanting. Hmm. I must explore one further method in using your mind as a causative instrument. It is, in effect, a mantra, originally written in Sanskrit and reformed into 13th century Japanese. Let me see if I can get this right. Nam myoho renge kyo derived from the title of the classical Buddhist text, the Lotus Sutra. The phrase means roughly, I dedicate myself to the mystic law of cause and effect. Chanting these four sounds, Nam, Myoho, Renge, Kyo, is, in my experience, a practice of great power. It forms the heart of what is called Nichiren Buddhism, named for its founder, a 13th century Buddhist priest, and practiced today by Sakagaki International. So Sakagakai? Yeah, we'll do Sakagakai. Sakagakai. Or SGI. I learned this chanting practice from someone who embodies its potential, Emily Grossman, an extraordinary mental health professional. Emily works at the Jewish Board, New York City's largest mental health agency, where she trains employees and designs programs 
to aid the recovery of people with mental illness. She is distinctly effective at what she does because she understands what works from the perspective of her own recovery. And because she exemplifies the self-development principle of her spiritual practice. Emily was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 1996, just two months into her freshman year at Emory University. University, excuse me. She was an ebullient young English major, a cheerleader, an outgoing source of encouragement to others, yet her future seemed completely cut short. Emily's depression and panic attacks were so severe that she had to return, ho return home to New Jersey, where she experienced debilitating relapses that broke through her medication regimen. She suffered chronic thoughts of suicide and was so emotionally impaired that even the simple act of using an ATM machine was too difficult to manage. She found herself in and out of institutions and group housing and faced the very real prospect of a life of hospitalization. Okay, so I just want to point out something really quick here. At the start of this book, Mitch basically calls out all the new thought leaders for using stories that don't have any way of confirming. You have no idea whether or not they made the story up or whether or not that's an actual person that went, went through actual things. And I just wanted to point out here that he told you where she works, he told you her name, and now he's telling you her story. So I just wanted to point that out that he is holding to his word so far. You can go look up Emily Grossman. You can go look up to see if she actually sits on Jewish board. Or whether or not she is a mental health professional. Just wanted to point that out really quick. But damn, that's heartbreaking. So she started university. Sorry. She started university. And then, I'm assuming out of nowhere, um, she started having severe depression and panic attacks. And she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder because of it. And she went from going bright, happy, cheerleading, outgoing, to being so emotionally impaired that she couldn't manage using an ATM and faced a prospect of a life of hospitalization. Damn. Alright, so continuing. Her younger sister Pam, a thoughtful seeker and artist in her own right, handed Emily a copy of Anthony Robbins' self-help book, Awaken the Giant Within have that book by the way I'm reading it the book gave Emily a renewed sense of inner agency and pushed her to explore new possibilities and treatment many journalists and social critics regarded Robbins the mountainous life coach and purveyor of a you can do it ethos as something of a joke or a huckster he is no such thing 
His message of self-possibility has saved lives. It opened Emily to options. After bouncing in and out of jobs, Emily began to regain her footing and moved to New York City in 2005 to attend Teachers College at Columbia University, from which she graduated the next year. At the time, she half-jokingly told a classmate, one day I'm going to move to California and become a Buddhist. The friend replied, well, I'm from California and I'm a Buddhist and there's a meeting tonight. That marked her introduction to the practice of chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. Very soon after I started practicing, Emily said, I noticed that I was not as symptomatic. I wasn't feeling as depressed. In fact, I was feeling happy. My medicine, which hadn't changed, was working better. Like me, Emily grew up in a traditional Jewish household. In her case, in Marlboro, New Jersey. I had a small Orthodox bar mitzvah at a synagogue in New Hyde Park in Queens. Neither place is on the leading edge of New Age spirituality. But during her recovery, Emily experienced what I consider a breakthrough spiritual insight. While she was experimenting with the ideas of Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Sharon Salzberg, and other alternative spiritual thinkers, and while at the start of her journey into Buddhism, she prayed to the god of her childhood for a practice that reflected everything I was reading in those books. Rather than feeling that she was abandoning her childhood tradition, she asked her old tradition to open a new door for her. I chanted and I said, God, I'm going to be talking to you in a different way now. Really look at her remark again. God, I'm going to be talking to you in a different way now. That statement displays great moral aptitude and summarizes the challenge and courage of the New Age and positive mind metaphysical practice. We are beings of radical ecumenism. Our myriad religious traditions, while using vastly different liturgies and sometimes harboring different aims, nonetheless serve as interlocking chains that can deliver us to what is immediately needed, even if a method or practice lies outside the borders of a tradition itself. The paradox of religion is that it can deliver you to solution, to solutions beyond its own premises. That first evening in 2005, when Emily learned about chanting... Okay, so let's go see if we can have a... Alright, so, she was diagnosed with bipolar in 2006. She started to attend teacher's college in 2005. So we're, we are only making it to the evening uh, when she joins her friend who said, Hey, yeah, I'm from California and I'm a Buddhist. Why don't you come to a meeting tonight? So we're at that night with that meeting. So it's been ooh, almost a decade now since the time she was first diagnosed to the time she regained her footing and attended her first uh, meditation center. Almost a decade. So, that first evening in 2005, when Emily learned about chanting, 
A friend counseled. Make a list of everything you want to change in your life. Emily recalled, My desires were that I wanted a bad relationship to end. I needed a job right after school, and I needed to keep the job. I needed a car, and I wanted to live in Hoboken, New Jersey. These were immensely practical aims. Each was necessary. A car, a steady job. Do you see why I refuse to judge material needs? For assembling a life of independence while recovering from severe depression. Each came to her and has remained with her. As of this writing, Emily is 38 and was diagnosed 20 years ago. She, she holds a graduate degree, lives a wholly independent existence after more than 10 hospitalizations and a stay in group housing, and maintains a distinguished career as an educator of mental health professionals. I've had no mania or depression in years, she told me in 2017. I continue the meds, but I haven't changed them in more than a decade. There is no question, in the eyes of Emily, her family, or myself, that chanting was an indelible factor in her recovery. One that not only stabilized her mood, but also gave her new ideas about managing her symptoms and lifestyle. Why did her chanting work? Emily is pragmatic. My impression is that chanting changed the neural pathways in my brain providing new coping skills and ways of learning. But she concedes a more mystical possibility. When I chant, it puts me in rhythm with the greatest law of the universe. That is, with a higher law of cause and effect. Is there such a law? Whether you regard such a claim as metaphor or metaphysical fact, our sole means of measurement are the results found in the life of the practitioner. We deal in actual proof, Emily said. Not falling asleep in class or the job. Waking up on time. Relieved cognitive impairment. These facts became part of her experience. They were the elements that allowed her to live independently. Never limit your sense of possibilities or experimentation. Especially when searching for a way out of a crisis or difficulty. A new idea or practice does not necessarily require giving up an old one. Emily did not discontinue her medications or treatment and would encourage no one to do so. But in chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, she found a practice that got her using her mind in a different way. That is the keynote of mind metaphysics. Finding methods that make the mental act into a transformational and transcendent vehicle. I argue that we can pierce a thin veil that separates mental and spiritual experience, thus using our minds not only as tools of cognition and motor function, but as instruments of navigation into higher, unseen realms of psychology and cause and effect. 
we may be unable to see, describe, or fully identify with these other spheres of existence. But their impact is palpably felt in our lives, as they were in Emily's. Alright, so, I didn't want to inter in, um, interrupt too much because this is basically her telling her experience. I didn't want to really um, interrupt in all of that. So, so, yeah. I like that he included Tony Robbins. I'm very happy that not only he, but also her included Tony Robbins. Because Tony Robbins is also... Um, a highly regarded hypnotist has bothered to do his research on NLP. I mean, the guy's, you know, the guy's a powerhouse for a reason. He helps people. He has a genuine passion for helping people. That's why I referred back to him so many, so many times. Um, but you know, a good example here, this Emily character. Um, and I've said this before, obviously, then, um, in other books is that use this on top of like use manifesting on top of you use visualizing on top of praying on top of whatever medical treatment that you're going through at the time all right don't don't cut it out completely use all the tools that are available to you not just like one or the other so that is the end of chapter four. So we went over, I, he didn't really do a hook a lot on meditating, probably because he saw chanting was so, he had so much better stories for chanting. So you now have some homework. Go look up Nichiren Buddhism. N-I-C-H-I-R-E-N. -E and Saka Gakkai International. S-O-K-A-G-A-K-K-A-I. I had never heard of that before. I have heard of Reiki. I have heard of Yusui Reiki, um, which is also comes out of Japan and follows its master Yusui, who chants, figure out how to channel energy from beyond and use it to heal people. You can use it on distance. You can use it in person. Reiki is basically using energy to heal the body and certain elements and whatnot. And, oh, what was her name? Not Rhonda Byrne. Urgh! I think she was another featured uh, teacher on The Secret. Um, she also uses energy to heal the body, and she's much more recent and goes, goes much more in depth. Uh, you can also go look up Dr. Joseph Spenza, who goes over the possibilities of the mind and how the mind interacts with other parts of the body to much greater extent and we are going to be going over that sometime in the future so but i wanted to point that out just before we got into her whole story is that he used her whole name obviously he probably asked her for permission to use it in the store to use her story in the book so thank you to emily grossman for allowing mitch to use your story because that's a fascinating Although, I have to say, sad. Um, that's a struggle. Alright, essentially a decade it took her to get go from being bright and effervescent. And then she got diagnosed with bipolar and it took her a decade to get back to 
a place where she could live independently. Something a lot of us take for granted, all right? We don't want to go out. We don't want to pay for our own bills. We don't want to leave home where our parents have everything set up and everything's nice and big and expansive and whatever. All right, a lot of people don't want to leave home. But for us, living on independent living independently is a choice we can on that end to some degree you know mom and dad will still let us live with us live with them they don't want to kick us out and it's a choice but for her right 10 hospitalizations 10 that sucks on so many levels I want to find out where the hell, where was that? Ten hospital, more than ten hospitalization in a stay in group housing. Now maintains a distinguished career as an educator of mental health professionals. And I just want to use that for a moment to ex express something we bent went back over with Mr. Dooley. And I'm going to bring up his friend who had her horrible two years. To reiterate his admonishment, and that was, you don't know what you need to do sometimes until much, much later. You don't know why you're going through the things that you do until much, much later. How many people has Emily helped because she went through it? Now, if you'd asked child Emily if she would have wanted to go through that... The answer probably would have been, hell no. But the soul of Emily, before she came down here, said, hmm, you know what? It's only about 10 years. I'm going to learn some awesome shit from it. Then I'm going to go on and use my personal experience to help even more people. Sure, we'll do it. Okay. She went through a struggle. The struggle taught her things. That no textbook in the world would ever have taught her. She found the initiative within herself to better herself. Thank you, Tony Robbins, for helping out Miss Emily Grossman, even though he probably doesn't even realize he did so. Alright. He helped her... Well, actually, he his book gave her the inspiration to have initiative enough to want to make her life better, get independent again, right? She had very reasonable aims, right? She wanted to live independently. She just wanted to finish college. You know, she's the, the basics. I want to hold down a job. I need a job, and then I need to be able to hold down that job. And I'd like to live here. Just super basic stuff. But for her, they were things that she couldn't even dream of being able to accomplish at the time that she wrote them. So, my hat's off to Emily Grossman. That's mm, a really inspiring story. My sincerest apologies for what you went through. And very much kudos for figuring out how to get through it. And then taking that story and helping others. That's kind of where I'm in the process of now, right? I had... I went through a lot of crappy stuff. 
and I still have or figured out how to have a um, a can-do attitude in the midst of it, right? I'll still take time and grieve when things are chaotic and happening and whatnot because that's an important process, right? If you don't grieve the things you're going through, if you don't take time to properly process the emotions instead of escaping them, all they do is they dig down and they manifest in other places in your life in unhealthy ways. So, um, I just wanted to point that out. So thank you, Mitch, and thank you, Emily. And I hope this has inspired you in some way that if you're going through something horrible right now, to be aware of the lessons it's teaching you. Be aware of the things you're going through. Be aware of the context and the experience and the emotions and all the things to the extent that you can. I'm not saying to ignore it or to complete, be completely detached from it. You're here to experience emotion and all, all the things that go with it and uh, the experiences of being a human and all the plethora of different things you can do as a human being. And maybe you are too close to it right now. But have it in the back of your head to go back and learn from those experiences. Because you go through them for a reason. And just like when Mr. Dooley said, you don't know what you don't know. You don't blame the child for not knowing the stove was hot before they put their hand on it. Or that the hot would hurt if they put their hand on it. All right, The kid didn't know what he didn't know beforehand. Once you know that you can direct your life to a certain extent, oops, sorry, then you can start um, rearranging things as you like. You can start meditating or visualizing on a more directed path instead of just taking whatever comes to you. Okay, that's why thought leaders exist. That's why um, leadership exists is to inspire other people to take that same kind of take charge of their own life, of their own state, of their own direction, and develop an inner initiative to go, excuse me, to go and better themselves, to figure themselves out, to figure out how to make the path they're on easier, smarter, more efficient, more doable, right? For her, it was simple stuff. I just want to hold down a job. I just want to finish college. I want to live here. I want to be able to keep my job. I don't want to go and have all these panic attacks again. This is what I want. And she turned her life from someone needing multiple hospitalizations to someone that's a respected uh, mental health professional. All right, she was went from living in group housing at one point to now she's living on her own. She's living independently. And I might add, he was very, very keen to put in there, she's still on her medication. She hasn't stopped taking it. still on it. But she hasn't had an episode in a decade. That's awesome. And I hope that serves to inspire you in whatever it is that you're going through, especially with how we started this podcast this morning, or well, not morning, how we started this podcast today, 
with the news of what's happening over in Afghanistan, okay? You can take charge of whatever situation that it is that you're going through and make it work the best possible way that you can. I promise you, you can. So, we're getting a little long. And, uh... We're going to do our two-minute brain break, but we're just going to listen to the music today. We're just going to be. And let all of those expectations and responsibilities and whatnot fall off for just a brief moment. So go ahead and do a little wiggle and get in a little stretch. We will do our two-minute brain break. Go ahead and close your eyes. And let's take a nice, slow, deep breath in. And let it back out. And let's take another nice, Slow, deep breath in. And let it back out. And just let your awareness settle into the space. And just breathe and be and rest. Rest your focus, rest your responsibilities, rest your chores, rest yourself, rest your mind, rest your soul. that's going off in the background. Alright, sorry for the lot of interruptions today, guys. I apologize. It's, um... <laughs> probably an understatement to say it's been weird lately. I'm just gonna say that. It's been weird lately. So, tomorrow we'll come back at Chapter 5. Alright? Chapter 5 is How to Make a Miracle. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Alright, so thank you for being here. Thank you for participating. And again, thank you so much for your patience. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a fantastic rest of your evening. 
This is the podcast. Sassafras, good night.